Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You don't got to look far to find somebody who's got long-haul symptoms. You work with one, brother. And I think we have to call the whole class of it the untreated. Because they don't know what this is. They don't know whether what I sense in terms of my mental acuity is age, not understanding how I was before, or some type of fog or whatever you want to call it. The lung issues, the heart issues, people have soft tissue issues. Uh, They're just starting to learn. There's only a handful of centers around the country that are even studying it because we're in crisis. I believe that long haul or whatever you want to call it is actually going to be the story a year from now and ahead of that. Because that's when we'll really have time to start focusing on it, kind of weed out, you know, whether people are just wrong about it or was something else. We got a long way to go on that. But it's good to keep talking about it because I'll tell you, it's what I hear about most. Mm. So appreciate you bringing it up, Anderson. I'll see you soon. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. We have breaking news on our watch from The New York Times tonight. If Congressman Matt Gates has nothing to answer for, If the federal investigation of alleged activities may be involving prostitution, even underage females, if it's all a sham, why would he ask Trump for a pardon? That's what The New York Times is reporting tonight, that Gates privately asked Trump and the White House in the ugly final days of that presidency for blanket preemptive pardons for himself, as well as for unidentified congressional allies. Now, remember, A preemptive pardon means for any crimes that I may have committed, I'm pardoned. CNN hasn't confirmed the story yet, but if true, you have to ask, do innocent people seek out preemptive pardons? Sources tell The Times top White House lawyers and officials viewed the request as a non-starter because they didn't want to set a precedent of giving pardons preemptively. Also tonight, the congressman has no shame in his game. He is fundraising off these allegations. Think about what that means about our political climate, that the mere suggestion of wrongdoing can be weaponized and said, see, they're coming after me now because they're really coming after you. And it works. He's raising money against what he calls lies about his, quote, dating life spread by the left. Let's just be clear. We don't know what he did or didn't do. That's going to be about the investigation. And anybody asking for action before that, I believe, is playing politics. But the Trump Justice Department started this, not the left. I never heard of it before any of this came through. I never heard of it in the media. I never heard of it from any lefties. They were never pitching this. And whoever came forward about the photos that Gates showed on the congressional floor, pretty sure they weren't Democrats because they would have gone bad on them right away. So... If you're looking at it that way, it was Barr who was in charge. And who was in charge of Barr? Donald Trump. You know who hasn't come forward to defend one of his most loyal servants? Donald Trump. Even Gates' fellow Trumplicans seem to be secretly turning on him. Remember, those nude photos were leaked from someone that he showed. And who else did he show them to? Right? 
Now, whether you care about the photos or you don't, I'm talking the politics of this. You know what Gates has that is a very interesting aspect of this? You know what he's doing on Friday? I'm not kidding. He's going to be speaking at a Women for America First event at Trump's Doral Club in Florida. A woman's event at a Trump club. Now, to be clear, I don't want to talk about Gates. I want to talk to Gates. He is invited on this show. Okay? He's taken his shot at me, which was completely unfair, and he's still welcome on this show. And he is declining, which he had never done before and had told me many times he never would. He always wants the opportunity to defend himself. I think he's entitled to that. I think he's entitled to due process like everybody is here. And I think our politics gets ahead of it too often. But I have to ask, why would you prospective donors want to pump an embattled representative with cash when he won't even take the opportunity to answer the questions before him? Interesting. Now, the congressman evidently saw our exclusive last night that blew a giant hole in his extortion explanation about all this. That's what he says. Don't look over here. Don't look over here where all these investigations going on about the women and the activity. It's really about this extortion plot that's going on. One, the two things have nothing to do with each other. But he retweeted a link to the interview with a key figure last night that he is accusing of extortion. Take a look. I don't have anything to do with the investigation into Matt Gates. Gates says his father was wearing a wire. Are you concerned about what he has on you on tape? I hope his father was wearing a wire. You hope he was wearing a wire? Yes. And there was no attempt to extort? There was no threat? There was no demand? There were no threats. There were no demands. That's Bob Kent, a former Air Force intel officer. He says what you heard him say. Gates says no and says if the wire tap, not the wiretap, if the secret recording is put out, it will all be right there. And he's asking for them to be released. He put out a tweet. And in that tweet, he called on the DOJ to release the tapes of the alleged extortion attempt and says all of it is there. Kent, whom he's accusing, says he hopes that it was taped so that you can hear what he said to Gates's father. It's a really interesting part of this story, because remember, it is a big part of the defense that Gates has. It's all a setup. They're all coming after him. Look at the extortion. I got to tell you, Bob Kent did himself a favor by coming on and answering the questions delay, uh, directly, but Gates won't take the same opportunity. So there's a lot to take apart tonight with that. And we have former number two at the FBI to do it. But first things first, we're two days into week two of the George Floyd murder trial. We've seen 20 witnesses up on that stand for the prosecution. Week two has an interesting focus on the training here. What were you supposed to do? But more importantly, what was Chauvin doing? Was that right or wrong? The knee on the neck for that duration. Was it ever taught? Is it ever okay? And if it is ever okay, under what circumstances? Nine minutes and 29 seconds. Does that fit into any sense of right? Among the witnesses today, a Minneapolis Police Department lieutenant who trained Chauvin on use of force. Take a listen. Sir, is this an MPD trained neck restraint? No, sir. Say, for example, uh, the subject was under control and handcuffed. Would this be authorized? I would say no. And how long, based on your training and experience, does it typically take to render a person unconscious using a neck restraint? 
Uh, my experience is uh, under 10 seconds. Under 10 seconds. Hmm. So which side did today's police testimony help or hurt or both? And if how so, how is it apportioned? Let's take it to the better minds. You have Van Jones and Mark O'Mara. You may remember him as the lead defense attorney for George Zimmerman in the Trayvon Martin murder trial. Good to have you both. Uh, so let us start, Mark, with one of the pieces of sound uh, today about specializing in use of force training and what those people have to say about what Chauvin was doing and in this context, how it should be judged. Take a listen. Once the subject is handcuffed and compliant or not resisting, is the officer to remove their knee? That would be an appropriate time. Why would you roll someone into the side recovery position after they've been handcuffed and are compliant? Uh, Several reasons are there, but uh, one would be to prevent a potential situation where they might be subject to positional asphyxiation. Now, this testimony backed up Chauvin's direct supervisor and the police chief, who both said basically the same thing. Now, let's look at it a little in reverse. We understand why that is effective for the prosecution. What can the defense do with it, Mark? Well, what they can do is they can sort of show what the different people are saying about the different events. You know, they're going to try and get across the fact that Chauvin was under stress, whether it's the crowd, whether it's the people, whether it's the stress of the moment. What he's really trying to do is to suggest Chauvin had a reason for doing what he did, and he didn't do anything with any intent. Uh, That's why we're hearing about the shoulder blade instead of the neck. And that's why we're hearing that Chauvin may have been distracted by bystanders and whatnot. Don't forget that what the defense is supposed to do in any case like this is throw out enough information that may lead to some reasonable doubt so that he can argue to a jury in closing arguments and through the rest of the case that there's not enough here for you to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt, all 12 of you, that what he did, what Chauvin did, was truly a crime as opposed to poor training, misunderstanding of training, and everything else that we now see the defense starting to put together as a little peppering of the state's case. So they were traumatized, Van, or they had some case of reckless disregard because officers knew he didn't have a pulse, didn't render aid. And when you look at so much of the footage of Chauvin, when he has the knee on the neck, he has his hand in his pocket, which is a very unusual posture for someone in a police situation. One, they tell you never have your hands in your pockets because you've got to be ready to, uh, to, especially if you're under stress. (laughs) So what is your play on how the approach of training is playing in this trial? Well, I I think that the prosecution is is doing a great job. I do wonder if they're doing too much of a good job. I mean, you already had uh, the police chief come out, and this guy made every police officer on planet Earth proud. If you are a police chief, a police commissioner, or a police officer, please look at the testimony from the police chief. He was uh, he absolutely had command of both sides of the issue, uh, the need for law and order, but also the need for trust and respect. And I don't know why we are still talking. (laughs) I'm starting to get why. What more do we have to prove and say? And what you saw today was now they're finding little tiny little things to pick at. Well, they're nervous. Van, they got to be nervous. The prosecutors have to be nervous if they don't do anything. That after the fact, a Van Jones or an O'Mara or anybody can say, I can't believe that they didn't push this part. They don't want to be in that in, in that position. That takes us to a, a big element of this. Um, the the epithet uh, of what has been here with 
I can't breathe, okay? Now, there is an ugly, I would suggest, mythology about that. You know, if a guy says, O'Mara, I can't breathe, you know what that means? That means he can breathe because he's talking. Now, that sounds right, but it's wrong, but it came up in the trial. Listen. Do you train officers that, uh, as part of your training, do you train officers that if a person can talk, that means that they can breathe? No, sir. Um, Why not? Uh, Well, that would be incomplete to say, um, because there is possible, you know, there is a possibility that somebody could be in respiratory distress and still being able to verbalize it. Impact, Mark. I think very, very important because that's, I'm not sure where law enforcement got that training from where they can say he's okay because he's screaming. We know many (laughs) cases that have ended up in death where that has happened. Uh, Another very famous, I can't breathe case, of course. Um, So the problem with it is that it actually is this sort of mantra that they say, and they seem to believe that if he can tell me he can't breathe, I can keep the pressure on. And unfortunately for Chauvin, one of the training officers said, no, 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 we would do the opposite. You can scream with your or or speak with your last breath before you pass that you can't breathe. Uh, Mm -hmm. Speaking, not breathing appropriately. Uh, something we've already learned in this trial that I think we should accept as progress subject uh, to your approval, Van, because I'm asking you the question, so we'll see if you agree. Um, you said that the chief gets your endorsement in terms of uh, acquitting himself well. I have never seen uh, police come forward and testify like this. Everybody talks about the blue wall. And you know right. what? In a job like that, it is good to have one another's back. However, it's about the righteous cause. I've never had an officer tell me that he would have done what Derek Chauvin did in this case. Uh, they've talked to me about different things that also have to be involved. It's not as simple as it looks and other things that I'm sure they believe uh, are helpful to point out. But what does it mean to you that you've had a number of police officers involved in this trial, nobody grudgingly, nobody trying to shut up and just say what they need to say to get a brother out of trouble? Yeah, look, it, it, <clears throat> it is unusual. And I, I think about, you know, 1992 with Rodney King. And, you know, that was, you know, I think for my generation, that was the first time we had seen a videotape you know, incident and we, and we had a, a criminal trial of police and police on trial. And that whole idea of the test a lie, you know, you, the, the cops don't testify, they test a lie to help each other. All that sort of stuff got baked into, you know, the culture in terms of, you know, folks in Los Angeles where I am and other, that you just can't trust the cops to do the right thing when a cop is in trouble. And yet you're seeing it now. You are seeing police officers uh, doing what they should do. They are telling the truth. They're, they're, talk, they're saying, speaking honestly about what the actual training is. And I think that there, it should be encouraging. However, if we get in a situation where a, 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 test, a case this terrible with this much uh, videotaped evidence, this many community people, and the police coming forward saying this is wrong, if the jury still can't find a way to convict, I think it's going to be very disappointing to a lot of people. But you have to say today, today, you have to say that the police who have been testifying have been doing the proper job, the job that you want them to do. It doesn't happen in most cases. In my experience, it's happening in this one. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you. Appreciate the help to the audience. Van Jones, Mark O'Mara. Now, we're looking at this Matt Gates scandal. I'm not paying a lot of attention to the political dynamics. I will when we need to. But it's about peeling back the layers of what we can understand as fact. Okay? Now, did the congressman ask the Trump White House for a blanket pardon? 
He's on Twitter all the time. Did you, Congressman? If so, why? I'm sure you'll have an explanation. Please offer it. Don't have people filling in answers for you. There is new reporting tonight that suggests that you did. He may have been under investigation at the time by the Trump DOJ for a whole host of allegations that could involve child sex trafficking. So we're going to come back with a former FBI insider. And we want to take a look at the exclusive interview we had last night with a man that Gates claims is trying to extort him. Did the interview set off any alarms for Brother McCabe? Let's see next. New information about Congressman Gates on our watch from The New York Times. They are reporting that the congressman pushed for a preemptive blanket pardon for himself and unidentified congressional allies in the final weeks of Trump's term. It would have happened not long after Gates was on TV saying stuff like this. President Trump should pardon Michael Flynn. He should pardon the Thanksgiving turkey. He should pardon everyone from himself to his administration officials to Joe Exotic if he has to, because you see from the radical left a bloodlust that will only be quenched if they come after the people who worked so hard to animate the Trump administration with the policies and the vigor and the effectiveness that delivered for the American people. So is that the reason? It's just politics. And he was saying that everyone's going to get attacked. So he followed through with what he said on TV and went and asked for a pardon. A Gates spokesperson tells The Times this is just, quote, entry level political operatives conflating his television comments with an actual push for a pardon. Well, the White House reportedly would not consider this, which means that seems to suggest from the reporting that there was a request. What we know for sure is that Gates' misdirection play when it comes to the sex trafficking investigation took a beating here on Cuomo primetime last night in the form of the man at the center of the allegation, Bob Kent. Now, few know the reality of what that investigation looks like better than a former deputy director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe. It's good to see you. Uh, What is your general take, Andrew, on the idea of asking for a preemptive pardon maybe while you are under investigation? Well, I'll say, Chris, that um, uh, Congressman Gates's hyperbolic comments on television aside, um, anyone involved in this process knows that the acceptance of a pardon carries with it the presumption that one needed a pardon. And so people who weren't in any sort of jeopardy would not ever be interested in actually getting a pardon. Which brings us back to to uh, Congressman Gates. I think it's incredibly incriminating um, that he actually approached the White House. If we believe the New York Times reporting, no reason not to. Two sources in the White House can uh, apparently indicated that he had those conversations. So it's very, very curious. Now, look, he may have just done it for political reasons. Who knows? Um, we're not going to know anything until that investigation comes out. My interest in the extortion side of this is that. I think it could be a clever misdirection play. And while two things can be true at the same time, right, which is he's got issues on one side with his own behavior and maybe one of his friends. And there is this DOJ investigation of extortion. But it doesn't mean that one would clear up the other. So I want to play you a piece of sound and see if this squares uh, with your understanding. So Kent says, I ask him, uh, the FBI been in contact with you? Here's what he says. You say the FBI has contacted. have they made it known to you that you are under investigation for extortion? 
They have not. They brought me in to discuss the situation, and I am cooperating. When you say the situation, what situation? They asked me about the meeting that I had with Don Gates. Now, I've always been thrown by this. I guess if a congressman comes to the FBI and says, I'm being extorted, you can't do nothing. Um, sure. But what did you think about the man last night and his demeanor? And what do you think about the idea of the FBI bringing him in, but just having a general conversation if they are thinking about extortion? Well, Chris, the FBI is not necessarily going to sit down at that conversation and say, OK, before we get started, Mr. Kent, you should know that you're the subject of an investigation about a possible extortion. But what they will do is ask him very detailed questions about the meeting that was at the heart of that alleged extortion uh, 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 effort. And that was the meeting between he and Don Gates. And it was clear from his interview with you, his responses to your questions, that they did exactly that. They asked him about the meeting he had with Don Gates, what he said to Don Gates, what he was basing those claims on, whether or not he had any actual insider information about the DOJ investigation of Matt Gates's conduct with minors. Um, so they got right at the heart of the issue. And my guess is that they probably resolved any concerns that an extortion was act- actually taking place. Um, now, look, he's a pro. He's an intel guy. Uh, but he betrayed no concern about any of my questions. And I asked him all the questions like three different times trying to get him, you know, just to see if he would change his demeanor. Um, what is your sense that this isn't going to wind up being about Kent or about extortion, but that's going to be about another guy named Joel Greenberg, uh, who yeah. they really have right now. They indicted him. They got him on charges. He's got a status conference later this week. Uh, he's got an arraignment on a new set of charges on him on Friday. Um, he is in trouble for exactly what they're looking at Gates for. Yeah, no doubt. Kent is a sideline to this story. I thought his answers to your questions seemed credible. He was consistent in his responses. Seemed pretty clear that this guy was picking up on some rumors that he had heard about the Gates uh, investigation, which apparently were uh, well known in the North Florida area by many people. And he was trying to take advantage of it as an opportunity to pursue his own interest in getting Bob Levitson back. Greenberg is a totally different character. Greenberg has a lot on the line here. He is currently facing very serious charges, extensive time in jail, and he is a desperate man. And desperate men talk to the authorities to try to get themselves a better deal. And if Greenberg flips and provides evidence against Matt Gates, the, the expanse and the possibility of that evidence is really endless. That could turn this into a much, much more serious situation for Congressman Gates. You're not a politician, but it's an interesting tactical play by Gates. He has been very aggressive in coming out. He picked a dummy forum uh, to come out and have his TV interview just to get his message out there. Wasn't asked any of the right questions because the guy was on his heels talking to him the whole time. But he's never mentioned Greenberg. Never. And that may be the name that matters most. Andrew McCabe, to be continued. And thank you. All right, let's switch to the pandemic. We have news there for you tonight as well. President Biden moves the vaccination goalposts for all adults up, not back. And he says no more confusing rules and restrictions. But there is still a lot of confusion nationwide on how to get immunized. So we're lucky. We have a key White House COVID response player here tonight. Let's talk truth to power next.
The president is moving up the deadline to make all adults in America eligible for the COVID vaccine. Listen. I'm announcing today that we're moving that date up from May 1st to April 19th nationwide. But beginning April 19th, every adult in every state, every adult in this country is eligible to get in line to get a COVID vaccination. Being eligible is good, but it doesn't mean you will be able to get vaccinated. And that's what we need, especially when you see the trend in new cases up almost 10,000 in the last two weeks. Let's discuss with the White House Senior Advisor for COVID Response, Andy Slavitt. It's good to see you. I hope you had a good Pesach at the family. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. So by myself here, but it was uh, good to celebrate. Good. Um, Got to get them vaccinated, not just in line. Uh, Kaiser Foundation says half the adults who tried to make an appointment fail. Uh, four in 10 are still in wait and see mode. The harder it is to get an appointment, the longer people won't get it. How do you fix it? Well, let's just take exactly where we are today. We've got uh, about 76% of seniors that have had their first shot. And we're on track so that by the weekend, uh, half the adults in the country will have had their first shot. So that's, that's, let's take stock of where that we've come from. Um, when we got here on January 20th, we were at about 8%. So it's getting easier. It's part of it's because there's more supply. Part of it is because it's in more places. Part of it is because there's more vaccinators. Now what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks is we really need to make sure that more seniors get their shots because starting on the 19th, uh, we're going to have some more floodgates again. We're going to have more people uh, coming. We've really got to keep pushing uh, because we've got to get closer and closer to that point where every adult who wants one uh, can have a shot. And we think that's going to happen as we get into May, uh, as we get towards the end of May. Now, I know you only want to look forward, but I think it's important for the record. How big a mistake was it and how much better off would we be today if the prior administration had said, no, 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 we're going to own this. We're owning testing. We're owning the vaccines. We are going to head up the entire effort. We will work with all the states. We are best equipped to do this. It will not be state first with us as an echo. How big a difference would it have made? I think we're seeing the benefits of having a, I'll call him a general-like president who is very calm, very clear, very decisive, who is talking to the states every day and pushing to get uh, dates moved up more quickly, who's working collaboratively and diplomatically, even where we know there's governors that, that disagree with the administration. Um, and we find that a, a more effective route than I think your question, uh, which implies, which is a year ago when we were looking at testing, um, the regiment was, hey, let's, let's leave states to be responsible. That way, if it doesn't go very well, um, we, don't, you know, we won't take the blame. I think we've come in with the philosophy and the president has, has pushed us to say, Look, whatever happens, we need to take accountability. If things aren't going well, take accountability and fix it. There's no one else to blame. You know, you got New York on pace to hit 85 in two months. Alabama won't hit 75 until October. Georgia won't hit 75 until November. You know, there's just so much randomness across the country. And yet there is something that is growing to be a universal truth that I think is the biggest challenge. And it doesn't get discussed enough. So let's start tonight. People are done, Andy. They've had it. They know there are more cases. They know the variant's the real deal. They know it spreads faster. They know it spreads even to kids. But they're not seeing people die at any kind of scary rate. And they're done. States are opening. 
Many don't even feel that they need to get the vaccine because things are opening up anyway. And there is no big benefit to getting the vaccine. There's no such thing as a vaccine passport. You don't get any privileges. You don't get to go back to work sooner. You don't get to go to places that you want to go and eat more easily. So why even deal with the headache? How do you take that on? The passport thing I've asked you about before, but that people are done, Andy, yeah. and states are opening up anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're not wrong, Chris. I mean, there's a couple things that I think we have to you know, reckon with and understand. The first is that it's very hard to keep in our heads good news and bad news at the same time. And we've dealt with so much bad news that, guys, wouldn't it be nice to just take a breather and say, it's done, it's behind us? And we'd be less than honest if we led people to believe that just because we're making progress that we're done. The second thing is that once people get vaccinated, it really is uh, an incredible relief for people who are watching. Um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing after all of this time. Um, but we do have to remember that there are 100 million plus adults that still haven't been vaccinated. They're not there yet. And, you know, you don't win the war until you bring everybody over with you. And that's the spirit of this country. But when we're at our best, Chris, I like to think we're the country that says we are going to bring everybody there with us. And even if that means we've got to slow down a little bit or we've got to prolong some of the things we're really eager for a little bit, that we're going to have to do that. For our part, either way, our job is to get it done as fast as possible. So right. that's what why I'm you saying is the president accelerate time frames. You are not in control of access. Right. Uh, so what happens is you say, just hold on a little bit longer. Wear the mask. Be smart. And people say no. And my state's opening up anyway. So I appreciate the advice, Andy, but take a hike. And they go out, they go to their restaurants, they live their lives. Uh, schools will open. Tony Fauci said, get the schools open, keep them open. And now you got Osterholm saying, "Ooh, I was wrong about going back to school. People have said, forget the mixed messages. The science isn't there. I want my kid in school. If he gets sick, she gets sick, they get sick. They're not going to die. And we've had enough. I think it's a really big problem, yeah. and I think the horse is out of the barn. I don't think anybody's going to mask up and live any harder than they did in the past. Well, we're not powerless. I don't, I, see, I don't feel like that's not a situation we can affect. And I'll give you an example. You talk about schools. Uh, the president decided at the beginning of March that we were going to vaccinate teachers and daycare mm -hmm. workers. And we just announced that at the end of March, 80% of teachers and health care workers have been vaccinated. So... You know, there are tools we have. Yes. And, you know, I think we can sit around and say, oh, the public's tired and, and, and all those things. And those things may be true, but none of those things means we don't have the tools to, to try to accelerate and to try to make a difference. We know we're racing against both the variants, as you've discussed, but also against fatigue. That's very much a reality. Uh, and, and we're going to and we're going to race. That's why the president keeps pushing us to go faster. Uh, we've talked about the vaccine passport. I know it's not a reality right now. And I know you got all these big brother faux libertarians who are really just Trumpers on the other side uh, attacking that you can't make someone get a vaccine. Of course not. But imagine if there were perks. I think it's an interesting topic and I'm always willing uh, to pursue it. But I really appreciate you taking on these questions, Andy. Uh, I know you don't get them asked everywhere, but I hear it from people. And I just want to give you a chance to address what I hear coming at me. So thank you for doing it. I appreciate you. Thank you, Chris. All right. Be well. Mitch McConnell is in a twist again. Why? He doesn't like that corporations are speaking up for voting rights. Listen to what he said. Shut up and stay out of politics. Oh, but I don't mean donations. Just think about that for a second. Shut up. Stay out of politics. But keep donating. Why? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you exactly where McConnell is on this and why. 
and you need to have open eyes about it. Next. Senator Mitch McConnell issued a new warning for big businesses against Georgia's voter suppression law. My warning, if you will, to corporate America is to stay out of politics. It's not what you're designed for. Republicans buy stock and fly on planes and drink Coca-Cola, too. So what I'm saying here is I think this is quite stupid to jump in the middle of a highly controversial issue. Yeah, unless they're saying what he wants them to say. Look, just because he says it with a straight face doesn't mean he's playing it straight. He's playing the game. This comes after he accused businesses on Monday of economic blackmail, calling them vehicles for far-left mobs to hijack our country. Really? Because Major League Baseball pulled its all-star game out of Atlanta? Now people are watching other big companies to see if they'll follow. The minority leader says businesses should stay out of politics. But shouldn't that mean their money, too? Oh, no, 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 not the money. Listen. I'm not talking about political contributions. Most of them contribute to both sides. They have political action committees. That's fine. It's legal. It's appropriate. I support that. But if you want them to stay out and they don't, then why don't you refuse to take their money? Come on. McConnell himself has benefited from corporate involvement in politics. Over the last five years, his campaign got more than $4 million in corporate cash. A super PAC he's aligned with also reportedly took in, ready, $475 million from the likes of Chevron and Coke Industries. How's that square with his past? In 2003, he personally filed suit against laws that limited how much companies could spend in elections. In 2010, he praised the Supreme Court's landmark Citizens United case that allowed big businesses to spend freely in federal elections. Cash is speech. 2014, he called Democratic efforts to set limits on corporate campaign spending in federal elections a threat to free speech. Yet here he is threatening the free speech of businesses willing to speak out against Jim Crow 2.0. Lawmakers like McConnell are okay if voting rights are suppressed. Others like Georgia State Representative Park Cannon are fighting to save them, and she was arrested for it. Now could face serious time. She's here tonight with her attorney. Why? Next. Mitch McConnell and other Republicans have made their message to corporations quite clear. If you co-sign these calls for protecting voting rights or any so-called leftist agenda, be prepared to face consequences. Consequences which seem to extend to Democrats, like Georgia State Rep Park Cannon, who was arrested while knocking on Governor Kemp's door during the signing of their state's controversial voting rights bill. Why? Well, some said they were afraid of a riot if they let her stay there and keep knocking on the door. You buy that? Cannon's lawyer says she now faces eight years in prison. She and her attorney, Gerald Griggs, join us now. Thank you for taking the opportunity. Thank you for having us. Hello. So, Rep, I see that your arm's in a sling. Um, I have heard reports that you injured it during the arrest. Is that true? If so, how did it happen? 
You know, that is true. And I do want to thank you for having me and for everyone who's reached out as it relates to praying for me and also just realizing this moment is important because we're going to keep knocking. We're going to continue to raise our voices. And at this moment, I do not have a full medical report, but look forward to being healed. All right. Uh, The police say you are a foot stomper who refused to leave when asked to when you were knocking on the door. And by foot stomping, I'm saying that they say you stomped on an officer's foot. Did you stomp on an officer's foot and did you refuse to leave when asked to while knocking? Well, you know, Chris, there are witnesses and, and video evidence of everything in this in this case. And so we believe that the police report is factually inaccurate. And once um, the witnesses are able to be uh, interviewed by law enforcement and by the prosecutor, I think the truth will come out. That's the legal point. The political point is, why did you do what you did, Park? What mattered to you? You knew it wasn't going to go well when the police came up. What were you doing there? I'm 29 years old and I'm elected to the district where Dr. King's birth home is, the Carter Center, even the state capitol. I'm also internally elected as the caucus secretary. So it is doubly my job as a state legislator and the secretary to attend bill signings as well as follow the process through so that the public can understand what is happening. Senate Bill 202 has had an irregular process from the start. The hearing dates would move around. I would get a post-it note on my desk that would say, we were going to hear you in the morning, but we'll hear you in the evening. Then the hearing wouldn't happen. So when I was notified irregularly that the bill was being signed, I went and I knocked on the door like I regularly would. Counselor, uh, you've spoken to the D.A., I'm told, uh, that they would dismiss these charges, seeing it seems to be a little bit uh, over you know, eight years uh, for this. It's certainly not within the spirit of what this law is about. Georgia's Constitution says lawmakers shall be free from arrest, no matter the statute, during meetings of the General Assembly, except for treason, felony or breach of the peace. What do you think is going to happen on the legal side? I'm hopeful that the DA will review all the evidence we presented to her and dismiss the case. And you're correct, as the Georgia Constitution says. And none of the facts and circumstances in this case fit um, that Park Cannon should have been arrested or should be even charged. And so we're hopeful that the DA will apply the Constitution to this case and dismiss this case so that Park can go back to serving her constituents and serving the people of of Georgia the way she's done for the last five years. It's always easy to ask people, Park, hey, would you do it again when things get sticky politically? But having been arrested and knowing that this is a little bit of a dicey proposition, you don't know which way the D.A. goes on this. uh, Do you have any regrets about the situation? That day, it was my intent to do my job, go home to my family and come back the next day. But I do recognize this moment in politics because I have mentors. Congressman John Lewis took my hand, marched with me in 2016 to the Fulton County Government Center and spoke with me about why it was important to fight for the right to vote. Martin Luther King III, his family has sat with me and talked with me about these difficult times, but why it is so important that we keep knocking. So I look forward to being back at the state capitol when redistricting happens in just a few months. The same legislation 
legislators who voted on this bill will draw our state's maps for 10 years. And I look forward for all of us being a part of that process. Well, as you know, may rest in peace. Uh, Congressman Lewis would have called this good trouble. Uh, and he knew well the price uh, that could carry it on and what a legacy of pain he brought into a sense of purpose in the House. And I understand that being impressive to you as well. So I'll end on a political thought. Uh, Senator McConnell says corporations should stay out of politics, except for the donating. Are you worried that there's a message being given right now that what the Georgia House did with the move of removing the rebate for gas from Delta that corporations may be told to shut up and may listen because it's bad for business. I think it is so interesting that someone would be wanting to receive the privilege of privacy in this moment when they are taking away the voting rights of every single Georgian, Republican or Democrat. So I stand for corporate accountability. I look forward to hearing more about what my constituents think about Mm. Coca-Cola and Delta and the other organizations implicated in this moment. It's time to stand up, all of us. I reached out to these organizations when the bills were being introduced and discussed. And yet today we finally hear action. So we're ready for this moment. Georgia is not afraid of this moment. We understand economic boycotts. We understand corporate accountability and we understand protecting voting rights. Representative Cannon, thank you for taking the opportunity. Heal and good luck going forward. Councilor Griggs, appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll be right back. Thank you. Yeah, I went too late and I'm sorry. CNN tonight is the big show and here's the big star, Don Lemon. What's what what's up with that? You know, I was talking to Park and Cannon, and I wanted to give her a chance to speak out about what was happening, and I screwed up the timing, and I apologize. No, 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 it's okay, because, uh, you know, I had her last week. I think maybe you weren't here, but I had her last week, and eight years or eight and a half years or whatever it is, you and I, you know, we talked about this, consider and say, oh, there's no way the DA's going to do that, they're going to drop the case, but then... Never know. You never know. And she talks about John Lewis, may rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Brother Lewis would have called this good trouble. But you know what? You know, he can say it with a smile. He could say it with a smile on his face. He paid the price uh, of pain and prosecution. And it's a a scary moment. Yes, the DA probably drops it. It would be uh, a huge injustice for them to carry this. Let's look at the optics. Uh, It's bad optics, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. knocking on the door. I know. know. And the guy's inside. They arrested her. Signing a bill, but they still arrested beneath her. Beneath the picture of a slave plantation, and then they arrested her. I'm Come just on. saying. Listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I'm saying they arrested her. They arrested her. I would have said, no, they'll never arrest her. That's why she didn't speak her. sooner, Chris. Because we have been, you know, we've been trying to get her. She's and her attorney, rightfully so, said we don't know where if this case is going to go left. I don't. Or right I don't blame him. Yeah, I, I, he, he jumped I agree. in on a question tonight that I actually meant for the representative. I don't blame him. That, yeah. You know. Because this, this goes away, uh, and then that case remains. We're doing all kinds of legal stuff. We got this. We've got what's happening in Minneapolis. And we got Matt Gates. And, you know, New I, York Times reporting. Yeah. Joel Greenberg is the name that is going to loom large in this situation. Not Bob Kent, the man I had on last night. No, it's going to be Joel Greenberg. You know, we don't know what happens with the extortion investigation. That has to do with the DOJ. It does not smell right. Yeah. Um, but Joel Greenberg, Why? Joel Greenberg has been indicted 
for exactly what they say. And Matt Gates is a bigger name. Oh, absolutely. But he's going to. They are investigating him for the same things. That means nothing legally. Yeah. But they absolutely know each other. And there is some strange coordination between the two of them. It doesn't have to mean anything specifically. It doesn't even have to be true. Joel Greenberg is in bad shape. Mm-hmm. He is a desperate man. And what do desperate men do? They flip. Desperate things. They do. <laughs> Let me tell you this, though. For all of the people who are out there watching and everyone who's saying, oh, this is just something that the Biden administration is doing because no. they're trying to get back. This started with the Trump DOJ. And did you hear Trump come out and defend Gates today? Yeah, and say, I heard him. It was silent. <laughs> sounded like you when a check comes. It sounded like this. What? Huh? Well, it's like you when the check no, comes. No, no. My favorite is a, who, Matt Gates. What is it like a coffee yeah. boy? I think he was like, somebody's maybe. at the gate. Yeah. My pizza's here. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> you like? You can use that, Don. Yeah. I know you're going. All to. right. I love you, Don Lemon. <laughs> you too. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.